This icon is racist. I have never ever been a spy. Can the PBS bank uh, The problem is that pinky. I'll never subject myself to whiteness. I'm listening. Can you have consistency, Honorable Chair? Corruption was an Olympic sport. They will always win gold. This is not a shape. Can you please come in? Hello and welcome to another edition of Sunday Times Politics Weekly with me, Amil Amra. I'm joined in the studio this week by my colleagues on the Sunday Times Politics desk, Zingisa Mvumvu, Kwanita Hunter, Apiwa de Klerk and Zimasa Matewane. How are you guys doing this week? It's All good? It's a full house. It's a full it's house. It's a very full house. <laughs> Zingisa and I are standing here because there's no space in the studio. I think we need to push for a bigger premises, don't we? Yeah, no. In fact, I think we need to have a full studio just for us. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We've got... Big, some two big topics this week. We're going to be talking about the EFF, a story that Zimasa wrote this weekend. And then we're also going to be talking about the crime stats, what the police are doing and what they're not doing to alleviate crime in the country. Let's get straight into it, guys. Zimasa, let's talk about your story first. The EFF has suspended and charged a female leader who questioned the party's instruction for her to turn down a seat in parliament. Now, Lungile Gabuza, a member of the party's KZN command team, refused to sign a letter sent to her by Secretary-General Godric Gardi, declaring her an unavailability to go to Parliament. So firstly, big issue here is that she was sent the written letter mm. by Godric, written for her and asked for her to sign up. Now, we've seen this before in other political parties um, where people are basically told, here's something, sign it, this is what the party wants you to do. Mm. Now, Gabuza in this case is said to have asked Gaudi to provide her with the reasons as to why she has to lie to the National Assembly. And um, instead, the EFF suspended her and barred her from participating in organizational activities and communicating with staff members uh, on EFF matters. Now, this is now Gabuza is not the only person uh, who this has happened to in the EFF. Another member of parliament, Philip Mflongo was also asked or instructed by the EFF's national leadership not to avail himself for parliament to the National Assembly. And he complied. He said, according to your story, Zimma said that he saw no reason for not complying. Now, let's look at this in a way where there's two arguments, and I've seen this on social media, where the one argument is this is, abs- this is almost very authoritarian, it's a dictatorship, how can you tell someone not to stand in parliament when they've been elected by the branches and the officials of the party? Mm-hmm. Secondly, people are saying, well, you shouldn't have ambition in a political party. You should be told where to go and where not to go, where to serve and where not to serve. Who has the right to tell you? So that's the argument. So what do you guys make of it at all in the EFF? Look, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm one uh, of those who believe that the EFF is a, well, let me not say dictatorship, but an authoritarian uh, party, you you expect such things. I mean, we will remember uh, the statistics are there and they speak for themselves. For instance, in the previous parliament, uh, you know, more than fifty percent of the EFF MPs that started uh, the term didn't finish, and yeah. there was varying reasons as to why they were removed. Uh, being, you know, uh, mostly bothering on the lines that the leadership, being uh, the the CIC Julius Malema, is not happy with. You know uh, those particular individuals. So, so this is not uh, shocking at all. And also here, you, I, I would, ex- I would assume that maybe 
uh, you know, as things went by, uh, they realized that they had reserved this position for someone else who who had gotten themselves into the good books uh, of the leadership. So, really, uh, the EFF is Julius Manema. Julius Manema is the EFF. What he wants, he gets. What he doesn't, he doesn't get. This is a clear and a typical case of how democracy is just, you know, ceremonial in the EFF. There is no democracy. There is all about the leadership and what they want. Simosa, uh, uh, you wrote the story. Um, for you, what does it say about the EFF and its leadership? It doesn't confirm anything that we don't already know about about the EFF and uh, the bullying tendencies in, in the EFF. Uh, if, if, if you look at it correctly, number 49 was supposed to go to parliament, to the National Assembly. So between number 49 and this particular uh, lady, who is number 56, there is about seven or eight people who all agreed to comply. And this one, she's, she's, she's just a girl from rural KZN. I don't think they expected this much resistance from her. Uh, but what shocked me the most <clears throat> was that when she contacted uh, the leader of the party, Julius Malema, it got her in trouble because uh, apparently that office of, of Julius, it's so high and mighty and it's so prestigious. And uh, ordinary members of the EFF perhaps do not have, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and those are, that's that's one of the questions that I put to both the SG uh, and and Lozi and and both unfortunately did did not respond to the questions. But their disrespect for the will of the branches uh, tells you that they have no respect for democracy. They have no respect for the members of the EFF. It's their show. Everyone else dances to their tune. And you know the thing is right. So much of our time and energy as political reporters goes towards reporting on the internal processes of the ANC, and they are the ruling party. And in the past there was always this discussion among political journalists whether we should care about smaller parties and their internal party processes. But as these parties are growing, we saw it with the DA in the whole Patricia DeLille matter. That was mm. really where we saw internal democracy being stifled. Um, how much of attention should we put to the internal democratic processes of these political parties because the reality of it is it's all well and good this is about us you know a few positions 40 positions in parliament what happens when the EFF starts running councils what happens when the EFF uh, um, you know is in charge of a province what then and so there's no so 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 firstly there is an issue about how those lists, how those lists were actually formulated um, and, and and that's a big deal. Does it? Who's making up those lists? We know, you know, if it's the ACDP, Kenneth Meshwe is sitting and, you know, putting him and his 10 friends on a list. Yeah. <laughs> they mustn't come for yeah. me. <laughs> but, but, but the reality of it is when, you, when your party's growing, when you have 2 million votes now, that's 2 million South Africans believing in your party, not only in your vision, yeah. but the vision of your party. So, so my question to you guys is how serious should we take these lapses of democracy in smaller political parties that are not the ruling party? From my experience, uh, political parties do tweak their list and they do request their members to not avail themselves even though uh, they qualify or they are next in line. This period is tricky because you need a year yeah. before you are able to amend a list. So for you, 
to be able to bypass that and place someone that you need there or you want or someone who's in your favor, you would have to tell people not to avail themselves, which is quite uh, difficult, as you see. I think the main problem here uh, with the EFF one is not necessarily that they ask her not to avail themselves. Political parties do that. It's the way in which they've done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the it yeah, because that person yeah. was duly uh, elected to be on the list. And uh, it's a process that is supposedly open and fair to party members and it's sent to the IEC. One of the key things that they consider is the fact that there is a list. These are the people that when we vote for this party are going to go to parliament and represent us. That's why we as journalists uh, 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 scrutinize. scrutinize those lists and report on them because it shows the caliber and the character of those people. So when you are asking someone to then uh, uh, not avail themselves, it should be done in a, in a manner that is uh, respecting that process, not to just write a letter and tell the person to sign. It's, it's, it's complete madness. Um, what, you, what you were saying about Patricia DeLille, actually one of the the biggest um, fights or one of the, the reasons that sparked that whole fight between Patricia Delille and the people that opposed her in that council was a similar process where um, someone was going to be a chairperson of a, um, uh, it's like a subcommittee, but yeah. Uh, in in, the city, in the city of Cape Town, a guy by the name of Grant Twig is now the chairperson of the Cape Town uh, Metro. He was told not to contest a position within council. Uh, it's a political position, but he insisted on, on, on contesting. They, they had a big fallout. Uh, it even went to uh, DC. So for that, for, for Grand Twig, it seemed as if, but it's my democratic right to avail myself. But the instruction of the party was that don't avail yourself. This is the person who's supposed to contest. So those th- those things are quite important because they tend to, to shift uh, or, or to to turn uh, the politics uh, of the day. Uh, I mean, a year later, after that whole squabble, the faction that was led uh, by those people who were supporting Grand Twig uh, successfully removed uh, Patricia Dillon. So it is important for, the, for, 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 for these things that we should care. Yeah. Mm. Just just to add on that question that, that you posed, why we should, uh, should care, and to add on your point up here, you know, it's not even a matter of you being the government of the day. Uh, for instance, this week, uh, the parliament is debating a bill on insourcing of government workers, which was brought upon by the EFF. The land expropriation without compensation that is now uh, going through under the Constitutional Review uh, Committee of Parliament was brought by the EFF. Of course, they got the buy-in of the ANC to get to that two-thirds majority. Therefore, political parties, especially in a uh, what, what do they call proportional representative uh, system that we use, no matter, even if you have one. That is why, I mean, that PA of uh, Gaten McKenzie can decide where, who becomes a mayor in a particular metro. Yeah even a single individual. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it doesn't matter how small you are. We must care because you have the potential to influence policy and to influence the direction of government, be it at local, provincial, or national. And the EFF is a very big player in terms of policy at a national level in parliament. Therefore, we ought to care about the internal dynamics of what happens there and ought to know about the kind of leaders that they have and the kind of culture and tradition that they have in how they conduct their politics. Therefore, it's it's very, very important that we, we know about this EFF dynamics. They are not so rosy. Uh, it's very unfortunate, but yeah, scrutiny. Okay, we're going to take a very quick short ad break, and when we get back, we're going to be talking about the crime stats and whether the police is doing enough, which we actually know they aren't. <laughs> 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 
Racial identity politics, the phrase that has the potential to start an argument in just about any situation. That's why we're starting it first. Let's Start an Argument is a unique and insightful podcast series about the meaning of race to us today. Presented by researcher Cecilia Koch and Doctor of Philosophy Jason Werbeloff, the series aims to spark rational argument and meaningful discussion around this controversial topic. Find Let's Start an Argument now on the Cliff Central app, cliffcentral.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back. Now, the reason I said the police aren't doing enough is because if they were, we would see a decline in the rates of crime, which we're clearly not. It seems that across all sectors or all crime divisions, it is all shot up and raised by a number of percentages. Now, first of all, the big one that everyone was talking about was the murder rate, which has risen by 3.4%. Already, it was so high last year, and now we've got an increase again. And this just means that 686 more people were murdered this year than they were last year, which brings the number of murders to 21,000 people this year in South Africa. That's crazy numbers, guys. And as I said, every category of crime is on the rise, from sexual offences, which recorded the greatest hike of about 4.6%, to armed robbery, which went up by like 1.2%. Clearly, guys, and we know this already because we've always dealt with the crime problem in the country, something needs to be done. Clearly, the police aren't doing enough. But it seems like they don't have a plan as well. I was listening to Becky Knele last week, and it's all the same. He's been talking about the same thing that his predecessors have been talking about for the past decade. And it seems like we aren't going anywhere. So then where do we start? I was just going to make one point about Peggy Tail. He he needs to understand that you can't shout crime away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But what do you expect from someone who was appointed by Twitter? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> continue with your point. No, but he was influenced by Twitter. Me and you know that. Just like Makura was inspired by Twitter to return uh, Banyas. But anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> so, so uh, you see, Pekitele as the police commissioner and Pekitele as the minister of 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 police is two different things. Uh, it seems as if we we've pinned our hopes on Peggy Kale, the Minister of Police. There's very little that he can yeah. do as the minister. Um, the very key person there is the police commissioner and, and, and so on. But aside from that, I think we, we have a, a very serious problem. In, and it's scary uh, when you talk about murders. You get areas that uh, murder rates are just not are just not uh, improving. A, 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 a policing is, is it a police precinct or police precinct, yeah, yeah uh, Nyanga has been number one uh, f- uh, in the Western Cape since since. Uh, look, there was a nice story uh, that Sunday Times ran about Kwamashu. Mm. Uh, them moving from being number one in the country to having uh, dropped uh, their their murder rate mm. so much so that. Uh, the community policing forum there is being asked to assist neighboring um, neighboring uh, um, neighborhoods. Neighboring communities. Can I ask a question about that? How mm. much does urbanization have to do with the, to the, the reduction of crime in, in a place like Kwamashu? 
I've never been to Gomash, so I, I don't know their dynamics. But on the on their story, they were saying one of the major contributing uh, factors uh, in murder rate there at the time, or even now, was the hostels in the area. Uh, uh, that that's where the, the biggest problem with crime was. Now. When I look at that, I've been to hostels, not not quite much. <laughs> I know the setup and whatnot. If, if you go to Cape Town um, in Nyanga, mm. you will find that the areas where there's a problem with violent crime, with murder, with so on, you find it's it's semi-formal areas mm. whereby you, you have shacks within RDP houses. It's it's areas where um, it's very difficult to police. Um, uh, someone can just disappear while they are still... So you need a buy-in from the community? You need a buy-in from the community. You need... I My understanding is that uh, you need uh, a human settlements uh, strategy that will uh, ensure that police have got access to each and every resident, uh, uh, resident in those areas in that if someone has been shot here, police should be able to chase down a suspect and mm. uh, and and you know driving and and, and all of that not uh, having to duck and uh, you know move between shakes because it's very difficult it's very difficult to lose people it's very difficult to, to to lose suspects in informal areas so you can't then speak about addressing crime only as a police problem because murder it happens and then police come afterwards so you can't undo the states even though you arrest someone but the more people get arrested it serves as a deterrent so when people aren't getting arrested because of the conditions mm. uh, of the area uh, mm. because police can't really effectively do it it's dark and 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 then someone can just kill someone today six months down the line they are back and they are living with you because police couldn't catch the person it's difficult and also there's, there's a real uh, question i think about the crime stats that people are raising, whether it's an exercise in futility, whether it's just something futile that every year we're like, okay, we know this thing, okay, okay. Because statistics and data are supposed to change the way things are done. Yeah. Mm. That's why you do it. Yeah. So if it's not changing anything, if uh, if resources are not being allocated separately uh, or differently, rather, if, if for me, then I'm like, why are you doing this? Because mm. we know this is happening. Yeah. So what are you going to do with this information? That's my question to the police minister. And also, I mean, to just to add on what Q is saying, uh, <laughs> I have a problem with this country. We are very reactionary on every problem that we face. And that is why, as Q is putting it, it's just a futile exercise. Every time we come out, yeah, 20%, 6%, 3%, blah, blah, blah. What is the root cause? What is the leading reason why people commit crime in these areas from where they commit this crime what ought to be done to make sure that crime doesn't happen in the first place because as for what appear is putting as well is reaction to you know to have access for what so that we can make arrests but how do you prevent these crimes from happening at the rate at which they're happening in the first place again i sound like a broken record <laughs> socio-economic uh, circumstances it's a survival way i'm sorry to say it but for most who commit crime it's a way of survival well certain crimes yeah least. certain crimes no of course not all crimes i mean i mean i'm, I'm talking but for instance, diagnosing the problem doesn't solve the problem that's what i'm saying so i'm saying but knowing that these are socio-economic uh, situations why don't you start from where it starts 
fix the socio-economic uh, challenges that the people face. I mean, let's look at the areas from where these crimes are committed. Who stays there? It's the poor people. What do they do for survival? They don't have jobs. Some of them, I mean, uh, people in our ages, they don't receive social grant. What do you do? You become an easy target, even to the big guys, like the drug lords who run. If I come to you, I, I need you to run this uh, drug ring in, in, in this uh, location of yours, and you don't have an income. I'll give you 20k per month. What are you going to do? You are going to do it. So for me, really, this conversation, it, it tires me because we'll keep on saying this. You can arrest people all you want. But until such time that people have got other legal and proper ways of survival as human beings, you are more likely to have little. Crime will always be there, but it will be much more little if you have people who are working, you have people who are in business. You, you know, that it's not even a rocket science. I mean, when I say, I, I'm not saying government must just give people freebies. Create a proper environment. This uh, Arizona Commission, we are told now, has spent more than 350 within <laughs> a year. How much difference, for example, that money would have made had it gone to young people who are not working but have got brilliant working ideas? 350 million. I, I dare you, just give them a million each. Young people who've got brilliant ideas, they create jobs, say, for example, I'm just making a silly example, for 100 people per person with that uh, 1 million. And then you have a society that is moving forward, that is empowering itself economically. The country's economy is growing. Everyone is working. The money flow is easy for everyone. Those are the things. I'm not, uh, when I say social economic, I don't mean government must give out freebies, but create environment for people to be able to do things that are legal and that are contributing to the growth of the economy of the country. Okay. Uh, I, do, I don't understand why poverty leads to um, fatal crime. You take Isn't my it phone. It's a scramble of resources. You though? take my phone, you go sell it, don't kill me. Mm. You know what I mean? There are countries that are poorer than South Africa, but we don't experience. Mm. They don't experience the type of violence. The, the type crime. of violence yeah. that. Uh, but I have I have an infographic here uh, that I would like to share with you guys. Um, it's titled "Circumstances Leading to Murder in South Africa." Mm. So thirty percent it's arguments and misunderstandings, right? Nineteen percent is gang related. Uh, 18% is domestic violence, 14% is mob justice, uh, 13% is armed robbery, 5% is taxi violence, 1% um, is illegal mining, and there's like a point something that's politically mm -hmm. rela related. But if you look at what makes up the bulk of the people who get killed these are things that haven't behind closed doors there is no policing that will fix arguments yeah, yeah. there is no policing that will fix domestic violence so i think at at the end of the day we need to hold ourselves as society accountable Absolutely. and say this is these are these are our issues this is our country is broken. We are broken. I don't know whether it's the trauma of apartheid. Now it's just mm. affecting everyone or whatever. But it's the, the police can only do so much. Yeah. They can't come and live at my house and make sure that if my boyfriend and I are arguing, he's not going to shoot yeah. me. I want to talk about something that's interesting in, this, in these crime stats as well, specifically this year. It says that police data... Uh, reveals that the unequal distribution of police resources at mm. stations across the country, it shows that, well, the data shows that um, the distribution discriminates against poor black communities. Mm, yeah. For example, in Dipsluit in Kaoteng, there's a ratio of 80 police officers for every 100,000 mm. people. 
Whereas in Rosebank, which we all know is a much better suburb, um, there's 987 police officers for every 100,000 people. So the areas that really need the policing aren't getting them because your more affluent suburbs um, are being treated much better. And we know that the same crimes don't really happen in these suburbs. When you are when you are adding those numbers of police mm. in Rosebank, you must add private security. Yeah, yeah. Mm. you know, private, yeah. private armies for Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, you see, this is what I was saying to you uh, uh, earlier on, or maybe I didn't emphasize that point. That you know, in in these areas, sometimes it doesn't matter how many police officers they would be allocated. Mm. So long as conditions for policing mm. are not conducive, it won't help. Mm. It, it, it won't help. Um, you, you know, these things such as crime scene contamination yeah. and when someone has, has fled for six months and what you can't find the person and whatnot, those things contribute to how people view policing. Mm. They, they find that police are not really... Uh, uh, interested in solving their issues and, the, and their problems. So, uh, yes, police visibility assists uh, a lot in, in terms of manpower and whatnot. But, you know, when so long as people are not being arrested for these violent crimes, mm. it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't change. It doesn't help persuade people to, uh, to think uh, that when you commit a crime, you're going to be caught. Mm. Uh, that's the only deterrent. If someone assaults me, and then nothing happens chances are the next time we have an argument they're gonna assault me mm. and maybe the third time they assault me to the point that they kill me because the consequences are not there uh, you know what informs the allocation of, of resources that's a very good question no, because, because it doesn't make answer. sense to me how a huge location like a mondro in Fryhead, yeah. i think that they are the least a resource in terms of, of ratio of, of the police and, and, and the residents. It doesn't make sense how they don't have cops and then there are cops where there is a security firm and then a high wall and then a razor, razor wire and electric wire and then, you know, patrol and, 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 and why? Why are black people not being taken care of? I think, I think for, for, I mean, I'm not justifying it in any way. I'm just giving the rationale of to say that to your tax income, you understand, people in Rosebank, it's almost, you understand what I'm saying? So it's like... It's, it's almost like government's trying to take care of its taxpayers. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like this is a this is a concentration of more, uh, you know, high-paying um, taxpayers, and therefore that's where we will put resources. But the reality of it is that's why that story in the Sunday Times was such a good story, to show the disparities for then pe- for people like now. We didn't yeah. know this before in terms of, of you know, we, the, exact the, the exact numbers. So now you can pose those questions um, and then, you know, there needs to be some sort of explanation as to why there's this type of disparity. Because violent crime is not happening in Rosebank. It's mm-hmm. happening in Deep Slot. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's also this thing of... Um, you know what, what you asked now about why, why are black people like I think government because if I was a minister right before this this stats came out if you just ask for a spreadsheet about 
policing in general. And you can just say, okay, unilaterally we're taking a decision to move to 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 resource. Okay, this area is crime. Mm. Let's take people. Let's take twenty police officers from Rosebank and send it to Hillbrow. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. That kind of that easy sense. movements. That for me isn't rocket science. It doesn't need any special tender or special re- allocation of resources. You just move people to areas where there's uh, where there's a need for crime, them. Where there's yeah. a need, need for them. And and also, you see, what you is, is saying in terms of these disparities, which I think is the reasoning behind our government and that these ones are paying for it. You know, it reminds me of something that quite like saying that there's nothing for free. You've got to pay for something. So I'm sure this is the kind of thing that these people pay more tax, therefore uh, they must be safer. But then again, how do you expect people from Detroit who are not working to pay for that service in the first place? But anyway, moving Isn't on. There, wasn't there one about Port Alfred? Was it Port Alfred in the Eastern Cape? That fancy suburb that had so many police officers? Yes, yeah. 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 And it's very tiny. I know <laughs> that, that particular <laughs> place you are talking about. But then I, again, I mean, the other issues, the, the causes of, of these crimes or the other contributing factors uh, that I think as a country we don't focus on. I know uh, Uzumasa is very much precise to say some of these things we've got to look into ourselves. And part of that, for instance, we look at some of the causes. What is the contribution of alcohol abuse into people behaving in a particular manner? What mm. is the contribution of drugs and nyaobe that is wrecking mm. havoc in the mm. whole of Tuan mm. in terms of how people go on to commit these things? Because I saw something that says a majority of the murders occurs over the weekend. You, you know what I'm talking about. So it, it shows there's a correlation. These things can't exist in, in isolation. isolation. And if we attack them in silos, we will never win this thing. We need a holistic approach that will... And, and, and for instance, even in this issue of arresting, we have a crisis of overcrowded prisons already. You can have a much more effective uh, police system that arrests people. What happened to the uh, uh, to the prisons that are overfull? We, we so build more. We also we, have a situation where cops will bring a suspect who is alleged to have raped a child to the home of the child and leave the, the suspect there and you, say you are lying about this. You know, so it, it is a, so. All, all I'm trying to say, I mean, is that we need a holistic approach. None of this thing happens in isolation. There are various contributing factors that, from a distance, may look like they are not related. But when you do a thorough analysis, as Mas was saying, to say most of these crimes happen on weekend. What do people do on weekend? They drink. Yeah. You know, so that's the kind of approach that I think we need if we are to move ahead, even as a deterrent to 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 avoid crime. I I I get that argument. It's been made a lot, and I've written a number of stories about policy uh, being driven by those states. But my uh, my argument has always been: I lived in Cape Town, so I, I would use Cape Town. That's why you want to build more prisons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you see, in Cape Town, the if if you if you, if you look at uh, the areas where they consume alcohol. Uh, in, 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 in the the affluent people, it would be Long Street, what, 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 what. Yeah. But then you go to townships, they have taverns there. And, 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 and. So when you were saying it's influenced by alcohol, yes, but you can't squarely blame it on there because in the suburbs of Cape Town, right, uh, uh, where there are affluent people and have been to Long cocaine, Street, yeah? I, I, yeah, it's cocaine, uh, yeah, and and alcohol. Uh, yeah. They drink a lot. Yeah, they have money. Yeah, uh, they're not killing each other when they're drunk. I think a few was talking what? from experience, not from writing stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but well, why is it that uh, the those who live in the affluent areas of Cape Town 
are not killing each other when they are drunk. Can I address and, that quickly? And, 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 and those that live in the in, in the flats in the township kill each other when they are drunk. So it has got nothing to do, I think. Maybe uh, alcohol might be a contributory thing, but it can't be. Everyone knows the special no, alcohol leads to violent crime. Why does alcohol lead to violent crime? in the less affluent areas than it does let me balance you real quick let me balance you real quick that's what you need to that's what you need to to interrogate okay again i said when i made that point i said these things don't uh, uh, exist in isolation again okay but balancing you now this the reason for that i said remember earlier i said is a reason of survival these people in deep throat First of all, you are hungry. Uh, you know, you don't know what your next meal is going to come you from. You come from a violent you know, past. That, that, yeah. that, that kind of a situation. After being, you know, influenced by alcohol, it influences you to take particular decisions for survival. Some other times it's not even survival. But those people, it's just to relax from a long week of work, but you know that you are going home to sleep at night. Queen, uh, king size bed, tomorrow uh, Monday, Masoba up on Sunday, Monday you're going back to work, <laughs> declare you're going to come here and say we must build more prisons. You see? So the circumstances <laughs> are different. That is the situation. Oh, That's unfortunately all we have time for this week. On one note, I want to leave us off on Guys, the one stat that caught my eye. Gauteng remains in the lead with the amount of drunken driving cases with 30,000 200 cases oh, in one Pagama year guys 30,000 what is happening here anyway that's all we have time for this week guys stay safe don't drink and drive we'll catch you next yeah. week <laughs>